Hey, Rose, do you ever call up Royally Obsessed on Alexa? It's one of the easiest ways to listen to the pod. You can hear our latest episode every week there, thanks to Amazon Music, which has a full catalog of podcasts, including Royally Obsessed. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed on Amazon Music. Oh, no, mine is listening to me say that right at this moment. <laughs> a royal reminder, new episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in on Amazon Music. Now on to the show. Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Caitlin Menza. And I'm Lisa Ryan. And it's time for your weekly dose of news from Windsor Palace, Buckingham Palace, Kensington Palace, and beyond. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. You can subscribe to the podcast and leave us the royal rating of a five-star review, if you don't mind. Please. Please, and thank you. Um, and this week, we are discussing a whole bunch of things. A lot. This is a jam-packed episode. Jam-packed. So really, just rest. Lean back. Settle in. Grab your own royal refreshment, because this is a big one. We have a royal ascot. We're very excited. It's like very fancy and it involves horses. A lot of hats. Yes, and we have uh, Meghan Markle's dad finally spoke. <sighs> I don't like him. If you're expecting it to really, like, if you're expecting answers, you're not going to get them here, unfortunately, from this interview. But we're going to discuss it anyway. Um, we have the road trip with Meghan Markle and Queen Elizabeth, that old gal. And we have special guests, the most special guests. It's so exciting for us because we're such huge fans. We're gigantic fans of the Fug Girls. And we are huge fans of their book as well, The Royal We. And they are here. They're Skyping in from Los Angeles today to chat with us. And we are pinching ourselves because we're just mega fans so they are the fug girls have a website gofugyourself.com the fug girls arguably have the wittiest fashion blog on all the internet and on top of that they are royal experts because they yes. wrote the royal we which is our official beach pick yeah it's our beach pick for this summer so if you're looking for something to read pick up their book it is a a subtle take on what really happened between William and Kate and it's just the most fun and informative read Jessica Morgan and Heather Cox yes those are their names so <laughs> uh stay tuned and they'll be coming in to chat about Megan's style and the book of course and their experience of being at Windsor Castle on the wedding day let's get into it <laughs> And now it's time for the Weekly Royal Cocktail. Let's pour ourselves a royal refreshment. Yes, so our royal refreshment came from some wonderful company, Boodle's Gin, sending gin to Lisa at her desk. Yes, I got to work one day and it was there and I was like, cool. Yeah, they sent us a recipe and everything. So this is the Queen's Cocktail. It has Boodle's Proper British Gin. That's the full name of the gin, which I love. It's so proper, just like us. Just like us. And then it has lemon juice and then grenadine, which it did not have, and then elderflower liqueur, which, which is so, so girly and delightful. And also, remember, um, Megan's wedding cake had elderflower in it oh, and lemon. Oh, it's perfect. So it's it is perfect. perfect. And then there's supposed to be an egg white, but we did not do that because I don't understand why. I don't like egg, egg whites. I, and we're not professional mixologists. Like, I can't be handling an egg white. I don't have time to go, like, fry up an egg white. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not how egg whites work at all. But, uh, okay, sure. And uh, sparkling wine is on top. So, it is delicious, yeah. and we're completely loving it. Yeah, we mix it up. It is very refreshing, very summery, and just delicious. So, we might have overdone the lemon juice. 
it says 20 milliliters of lemon juice, which means nothing to Americans, but Mm -hmm. it's a lot. It's kind of a lot. Also, they gave us the measurements in milliliters, and we don't understand. So let's see if we get drunk at the end of this one like I did with that other cocktail that one time. So good luck, (laughs) listeners. (laughs) Yes. So uh, now we have This Week in Royal History. And now, This Week in Royal History. Uh, it's the wedding of Prince Edward and Sophie. Yes. So Wessex. Prince Edward is the youngest of uh, the four children of Queen Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Um, I always mix him up with Andrew. Sorry to both of you. Um, but like he's, the same. They're basically the same. They're the younger two. Uh, but Edward is the fourth and the last child of Elizabeth and uh, Philip. He was born in 1964. Yeah. And he got married this week, June 19th, 1999. And it's kind of funny because June 19th is one month after May 19th, which is yes. when Harry and Meghan got married. Different year, but like still. Wow. Wow. Same number. <laughs> Crazy. We actually keep doing a royal wedding like every week in royal history because they all get married in the spring because that's when people get married. You know, it's not yeah. it's not that special. He also got married at Windsor Castle, just like mm-hmm. Harry and Meghan. And we're probably going to zip through this a little quickly because we have so much stuff to cover today. But my favorite thing about his relationship with Sophie, who is Sophie of Wessex, because he is the Earl of Wessex, right? Yes. Yeah. He's the Earl of (laughs) Wessex instead of a duke because he's going to be the Duke of Edinburgh after his dad dies. Yeah. So he's the only one of the kids who didn't get a dukedom when he got married. He only got an earldom. But he'll become the Duke of Edinburgh once Prince Philip kicks the bucket which is rough but that's not the thing i like about it i don't like that (laughs) but the thing i like about this is that um sophie was a pr executive so public relations executive before she met him and so they met at a tennis event that she had organized in at work and so then they kind of hid their relationship for a few years and told the press they were just friends and obviously they were lying they were in love and yeah then they got engaged and got married and blammo Royal history. <laughs> Went through it. Did it. Wait, I have one item to oh. share that I liked Sorry. from this bio, um, or rather this background on their wedding, which is that his uh, his the engagement ring that Sophie wears is just diamonds, even though there had been... <laughs> Apparently, she wanted a diamond engagement ring, not just because that's the typical thing, but because there had just been, they got engaged in 1998, and there had just been two high-profile divorces in the family. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Diana had the sapphire that Kate Middleton now wears, and Sarah Ferguson had that pink, like, ruby thing, and Mm -hmm. so, or pink emerald, whatever, it's pink. It's like a big pink like heart like when Lady Gaga got engaged um, a little it's a little corny for my taste um, but so she wanted diamonds because she felt like a gemstone engagement ring was bad luck after those two with the divorces and they're still married they're still so. married so she's sort of right I guess, well, I guess like they're having good Kate. luck I'm just kidding yeah they're having good luck so yeah. yes happy wedding anniversary to Edward and Sophie you guys are kind of boring which is a really good thing in this yeah. family good for you good for you to have no scandal that we are aware of yes exactly that's those two so sophie on her wedding anniversary made an appearance at the royal ascot race which is a horse race it's a very fancy horse race so you're thinking kentucky derby and maybe you're imagining that's what the royal ascot's like seersucker what have you yeah and like a bunch of drunk people doing keg stands no this is not your kentucky derby 
Derby party. American nonsense. Yeah, this is a very British event. It is very, very fancy. So first, just to like set the stage for how fancy it is, Prince Harry was there wearing a top hat. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think I just thought it was a horse race, but it is, it's one of the biggest events of the year. Uh, it's extremely formal, as you'll see from the photos. And apparently, I learned today from a fan account, which is why you should all follow British fan accounts, like the <laughs> freaks that we are. Um, <laughs> What else would you follow? What uh, what celebrities? Why there is a an address code that's released every single year. It changes every year. So the women has to just I don't know wait around for this dress code to drop. I mean you can take your guesses. It's like dresses at or below the knee. Um, no midriffs. Duh. Like what kind of trash are you? Um, uh, but it also includes that you can't have anything shoulderless. It has to, you have to have straps of an inch or wider, which was the exact same dress code at my high school, which I got in trouble for wearing spaghetti strap, a spaghetti strap tank top from like Old Navy. I didn't realize that I was doing a podcast with a bad girl. I'm just a total slore. So uh, that it's the same role here. And that actually is an issue for uh, Meghan Markle because we know she loves an off the shoulder sort of look or that big neckline. Um, so she didn't do that, of course. So she appeared. We weren't absolutely sure that she would, but uh, Meghan and Harry were at it and they presented an award today and everything. Yeah, and she wore a very classic white Givenchy dress, yes. which she also wore, of course. She wore a Givenchy at her wedding. That was her main wedding dress, not the Stella McCartney one afterwards that we like. And then she also wore a Givenchy during her Queen road trip, which we will address yeah, in a little so bit. Exciting. But then she, so of course, at the Ascot is where you see like all of those hats. Like I did a slideshow today of just ridiculous hats. They're not just fascinators. It's like actual things growing out of people's heads. Just, yes. <laughs> they look kind of scary, but also pretty and lovely and fancy and wonderful and terrifying. It's basically this event is everything you want from the royal family. It is the most British thing you can imagine. Yeah, there's horses. You have Queen Elizabeth grimacing at horses and then smiling at horses. One year her horse won. So she was really happy. Yes. Or I don't know if they won like the top prize or they just got like a participation trophy but there was a trophy <laughs> yes and so they, the royal family is on hand to present some of the trophies and we also got the full fam we got mm -hmm. Eugenie and Beatrice yeah. they, they ride in on in carriages it's really the full yeah the full effect so Eugenie and um, Beatrice both wore kind of more subtle hats than you've seen them in before you know Beatrice of course wore that like kind of sorry Beatrice because I know you're listening because you're like looking me up, <laughs> see if you want to approve my Instagram request. But she wore that kind of like crazy, kind of dirty looking hat um, to the royal wedding uh, of Kate and William. And so they had kind of more subtle stuff. But uh, I, what I thought was most significant of this event was not just like seeing the queen in her bright yellow and all the other royals there. It was seeing Meghan in her like most British, dramatic, elaborate hat yet. So it was by Philip Tracy, who's the milliner she's used before and who is like the very famous milliner that works with all of the royals. And in the past, she's worn like kind of the more subtle chapeaus from like the yeah. Sandringham. Uh, sort of like berets almost. Yeah. And then also like her last two fancy events from the royal wedding or post-royal wedding were kind of these subtle hats that kind of look like plates. Yes. But this... This was really elaborate. This was the full thing. Yeah. And I asked um, one of my coworkers who works in the fashion department, um, 
what how she would describe it and she said that it looked like the Sydney Opera House. Oh, I love that. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. And so I put it in my post. So if anyone reads that, it's not me. <laughs> well, I like it anyway. But yes, she wore, the hat was black and white. Her dress was entirely white with some uh, white lace details, very bridal, honestly, mm-hmm. with a skinny black belt around the waist, which apparently means that maybe that trend is coming back because I just oh, tossed. God. <laughs> I just tossed. I don't all, have time for this. All my skinny belts. And then she wore black heels. Um, the dress was this kind of, it was just so, so white and so long that it was the exact look that you're like, I could never wear that because I eat and yeah. spill. True. And but I did read something today on Lainey Gossip about how she's noticed that a lot of women after their weddings kind of continue to rock the bridal look for as yeah. long as they can where they just keep on wearing white. Is that something you've noticed? I feel I, I luckily I have not. My <laughs> friends are kinder to me than that. But I, I feel like it's her equivalent of breaking out a wedding photo for every TVT on Instagram. Like it's it's only been a month, but I do feel like she's wearing some bridal stuff to be like, just a reminder, I'm a newlywed. Yay, look how happy I am. I'm still wearing pale pink nail polish. <laughs> You know, well, I'm glad she looked so happy at this event because I didn't notice this because I was busy today. But Caitlin, I guess, was less busy. That's how dare you. I'm sure you were just as busy. But Caitlin. Wow. Caitlin noticed some like hot eyes between the two of them. Oh, first of all, that doesn't take a lot of time to notice. (laughs) So I was going through the Getty photos as one does um, because people weren't posting about this as quickly as I needed them to. And so I looked through the photos and yes, there are lots of, first of all, the couple is of course holding hands throughout this event, which you rarely see William and Kate do. Maybe you get a lower like back touch and that's about it. Um, But these two were holding hands and there were lots of photos of her just like gazing at him with love because his gigantic head with the top hat is in the foreground and then Megan's in the slight background just looking gazing at him as one does when you see your man in a waistcoat and top hat. I wouldn't know because I never will but she just looks adoring at him. Aim higher. Maybe aim higher. (laughs) Dream big. More waistcoats. I want more royal horse races in my future Mm -hmm. but it was so nice to see her looking so happy because as we mentioned her father is back in the press being the worst he's he's not saying anything bad but he's selling her out he um he was on good morning britain which is kind of i don't know i don't want to like diss the today show but i assume it's kind of like the today show of the uk but it's hosted by piers morgan which you already know is like piers morgan he is the worst but so he was on there and he he told way too much information. It was so it was such a violation. I felt like dirty listening yeah. to it. He talked about how he first heard that Megan was dating Harry and like she called him and says, I have a boyfriend and then eventually like a few calls later he's British and then a few calls later he's Prince Harry. And then he he tried to like um talk about Prince Harry's thoughts on Donald Trump where I don't think he actually knows. He was just like he said to give him a chance and I don't buy that. I I don't either. Like it's very clear that both Harry and Meghan are not fans of this man. Yeah. But not fans of this man Donald Trump and not fans of this man Thomas Markle. Like I really yeah. doubt that Harry in his limited phone calls to his future father-in-law was like, "By the by, I think you should give Donald Trump a chance." That was the the quote which like I just don't I don't believe in. Also, he said that Harry talked about Brexit. I doubt Harry was talking about Brexit. I think that this guy is just talking out of his behind. Yeah, and what really bothered me about that is he said the most controversial things he could say. Like, I mean, I guess there could be worse. And as we know with this family, there will be worse. But for him to say that Harry got political with Donald Trump and Brexit stuff just seems so 
beyond the realm of possibility as to just be nasty like that means to me that he just like made it up and i i hate that mm-hmm. and it was reported that he got ten thousand pounds for his appearance so it's not like he didn't make money off of this it's very clear that he will go out of his way to sell out his daughter which is awful yeah to make a pretty penny so I feel like this is all the time we're going to give this guy. Yeah, I, I'm I, as always. I'm really sad for Megan. I and to think that she's doing all of these royal, these new royal duties, and got married with all of this has all this the global scrutiny on her, and is doing everything so beautifully at a time when her dad is just the worst. Every single time he pops up, he he ruins my day. So I can't imagine what he's doing to his poor daughter. So Megan, we are cheering for you bad dad leave her alone please stop talking to anyone ever again everyone stop paying him for his dumb information and stupid paparazzi pics because i know you're all listening piers morgan (laughs) yes um so briefly we just want to discuss that of course our our most favorite event that i can imagine just occurred this week just when you thought you couldn't deal with any more cuteness of the royal babies like rolling down a hill and wearing sunglasses we finally got the event of Meghan going on an overnight train with Queen Elizabeth and the pictures afterwards do not disappoint like they are so happy together they truly look like girlfriends I mean I can't imagine they're actually girlfriends I'm sure it's a lot of your majesty your highness right bow bow curtsy whatever yeah but all of the pictures are so cute because, as we've said, Queen Elizabeth, though we love her, can be a bit of a grump. Yes. But she just, like, cracks up laughing at Megan, with Megan, not at her. That would be mean. Yes. But they're, they're smiling. They're, they're, like, whispering at each other. They're having inside jokes. Yeah. And Megan was wearing Givenchy. And yes. it was a beautiful outfit. It was a little bit wrinkled just because she had been on a train, which I understand. Again, I'm angry at Givenchy for doing this to her because they should know better. But the dress itself was impeccable. She looked she looked perfect. Yeah, that's like off the shoulder thing, very formal, but like perfectly fitted to her body. It was like a capey thing, yeah, but it was for cool. just the shoulder part. Yeah, really cool. Again, and of I course, can't she it. wore sort of a khaki color, and then the queen was wearing like in fuego lime green. Mm-hmm. Like hurts to look at directly. I love it. Yeah, and then today also on Twitter, not on Getty, I saw pictures of um, the queen and Meghan Markle kind of smiling at each other and talking to each other. So. I like to think, uh-huh. and I'm sure we all like to think, that they have like developed this beautiful friendship, and it's so cute, and I'm so happy about it. Yes. I mean, it's there is cert- I know she's an actress, but Queen Elizabeth isn't, and she never... She, of course, has a stiff upper lip, but she makes it clear when she does or doesn't like somebody. Oh, yeah. And I feel like it, it would be hard for them to fake that, and also they wouldn't have done the event if they weren't getting along swimmingly. It was very early for them to do that kind of thing, and I think it... I think it really showed how much they're into each other, which is so cute. Love them. And speaking of newly made friends, we caught up with our new friends who we are so excited to be able to declare as friends, the Fug Girls. That's Jessica Morgan and Heather Cox. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having us. It's like a delight to to get to talk to you. Yes. Well, you guys just got back from the UK, or I guess not just. It was a month ago. But we know that you guys were covering the royal wedding over there. And what was it like? It was really fun. Uh, it was a really nice day. Like, I mean, weather-wise, yes, but also mood-wise. Everybody was just was really pleased to be there. I mean, obviously, you would expect in an event like that, like, nobody who was super anti-monarchy or anti-Harry or anti-Meghan is going to show up to their wedding right. to spend the whole day standing outside waiting to see them. 
but I don't know. It was just a really warm and lovely. It was almost like a really like a cross between a music festival and a garden party. You've Beautiful. got people who are really dressed up, people who are casual, people who are in costume, but everybody was cheering. People were singing along with parts of the service, like when the uh, choir sang "Stand by Me." People were swaying and singing, just but under their breath a little bit, so you could still hear them. You could also still hear the ceremony. I don't. Know, it was just really kind of a lovely community feel, which you would not necessarily think of a gigantic royal wedding watched by billions. Yes, and did you guys um, how? How far in advance did you camp out? Because and will you tell us a little bit about how big the crowd was? Because I watched your Instagram stories on the day of and it seemed like you actually could see them, even though you would think that it would be like Times Square on New Year's Eve. We did not camp out at all. Okay. Um, so basically what happened was we flew into England or into London like a few days before the wedding, like on a Wednesday or so. So we spent a couple days in London. And then Heather has family friends who live nearby Windsor, so we stayed with them overnight. And um, we were doing a TV spot on CNN the morning of the wedding really early. So we were lucky enough that CNN came and got us to get us there in time to be on television. So we were there. We didn't really have to camp out. We did go over Friday and like talk to people and walk around, do interviews, because we were writing some stuff about it. Um, so we were in town, but we did not camp out. And, um, and luckily, we were able to get there under someone else's car power and not our own. Because there was a time where we were like, how early are we going to have to leave? Yeah, really. <laughs> like, they, they closed the roads really early. And I do think there was some concern about like, are we going to get locked out of town? How is this going to work logistically? Um, so yeah, we were there very early. And so but the time we were done with CNN, I think it was probably about six, Heather, would you say? No, it was like 7.45. All right. So it took a while. And then we just walked over because CNN was taping where we were over across the bridge at Eaton, which is very close. So then we just like trotted over to Windsor and there was a fair amount of people there fairly early, but it was not like a huge, crazy crush. There was a lot of room for them though. Where we were lined up is on uh, the Great Walk, which is like a mile and a half long. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, yeah. So, but it's quite long. So there's a lot of space. It's, it's like literally more spacious than Times Square would be. So people had room to like okay. spill out and there was a PIMS cart and like everybody was fine. Uh, there yeah, was a PIMS cart. <laughs> we really were nervous that that was what it was going to be like because I, I don't think I get, like I watched that and I, I think how are any of those people going to the bathroom? Like how, yes. what are you doing? Are you wearing diapers? I was not prepared to wear a diaper for this wedding. Um, <laughs> But it actually, it really was, you could move. They had um, plenty of porta potties and they had um, plastic, giant plastic bags full of rows of toilet paper next to porta potties so that they basically never ran out. Like if you found yourself in need of toilet paper, literally all you have to do is go grab your own roll out of the bag. Um, So I thought that was, I mean, it sounds really unglamorous and I guess in a way it sort of (laughs) is for a wedding. Like, hey, observe, there's the carriage, there's the toilet paper. But um, I thought that was actually pretty smart. Like they just made absolutely sure that Everybody had everything they needed, including booze and food. Um, and I want to say that when we got there on Friday, the day before, we were talking to people who were setting up and they were the first people to arrive. Like, I, I think most of the long walk was still empty and there were just people setting up along the railings. And it was probably, what, like 10 o'clock in the morning? And so yeah. they, most of them had just gotten there. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. People in town had arrived as early as Tuesday. Okay. Like we're talking right at the mouth of the castle gates. They had staked out their spot, taking shifts, making sure no one took it. 
Um, okay. And then on Saturday morning, there were people who said they'd taken the train in as early, you know, four or five o'clock in the morning and got it's still pretty casual. I did that for a flight last week, you know, five, like a 5 a.m. train. It's not that bad. Yeah. No, think, go ahead, Jeff. I was just going to say, I think the issue with the train is that you never know how it's going to go, you know, public transportation. Yeah. I, uh, if it had been me, I would have been stressed out about getting there in time, taking the train up from London that morning. But yeah. it worked out like it was beautiful weather. The trains were on time. Everything ran according to plan. Yeah. And so how did you guys get prepared for this? Because I know we've been covering it in New York and we felt like we were getting ready for our own wedding. So I can't imagine actually being there. You guys have been covering them for years. And what was it like to prepare? Honestly, I think it was one of the easiest prep jobs that we've ever done just because we have been covering it for a long time that I think we just sort of knew what we were talking about. So rarely in life do I ever show up anywhere and feel like I naturally know what I'm doing and know what I need to say. And it just kind of rolled off the tongue. I don't know some of that is probably because we wrote royal we and when that came out um you know that's obviously the american marrying the british prince type story so there was plenty to talk about with that we've done a lot of research for that book just writing about the royals and reading about them um you know jessica's case writing about them on gfy and in my case reading about them when jessica writes about them um we kind of knew our stuff you know cnn didn't actually really prep us for our segments so we didn't know what we were going to be asked and i was very pleased that on live tv the two of us were able to pull answers out of our minds <laughs> <laughs> well we might ask you to do the same now but i wanted to first uh go into the royal we so uh lisa and i are both huge fans of the book we love it uh, we were just telling jessica earlier that we have our copy here um not just for skype uh <laughs> for skype visuals but because i was rereading it on the train um but so could you have imagined when you were writing this book about four years ago that there would be a real American marrying into the royal family? Uh, when this actually like came to pass and we realized like, oh, my God, this is actually happening. It was very surreal. I think Heather and I were both kind of like, oh, my God, how did this actually happen? I mean, it's obviously not totally out of the realm of possibility. Um, but, yeah, I it's a very surprising development. I would not have anticipated this happening. Right. When we were writing the book, we were discussing, you know, we were when we were laying out what to do, and we wanted to make Bex American because, chiefly because we were going to be writing it in first person, and we are American, and we were worried that it was such a big book and such a sprawling book that it would be taking on too much. We also tried to make it a book written in the inner monologue of a British woman. Like, we worried that that would come across too, I don't want to say theatrical, because that's not what I mean, but almost like too much like we were playing a role and doing it, then we might do it badly. And we were like, there's one thing that we know, it's being an American lady. So we'll just make her American. And we thought, is that going to be a bridge too far for some people? Like, will, will people read that and think, yeah, okay, but this would never happen. That's ridiculous. This is just you, you guys like fan wanking that an American would marry into the royal family. And we said, well, hopefully we, hopefully not. Hopefully we can sell it and uh, make it believable. And I guess we sold it to the universe. Can we go back? Wait, can I ask you about the term fan wanking? Is that a Britishism? Because I think I think our whole podcast needs to be renamed fan wanking. <laughs> no, as far as I know, that's inter- the magic of internet slang. I love oh. it. I'm keeping it for myself. It basically just means like you've decided that something is happening. Like it kind of is like when a fan has to twist what's happening on a show to fit their really kind of hard to explain it's yeah. almost like it's shipping like what they think is really going on like to sort of justify their own fandom it's like well 
I don't like what that character is doing, but the only reason they're doing it is because of some convoluted reason that I'm making up, which will then support my reason to still like that character. (laughs) Okay. And can you, I mean, we got ahead of ourselves here, but can you explain um, the concept of the book and what inspired you guys to write it? Sure. Um, The book is basically very loosely based on Kate Middleton and Prince William's relationship if Kate Middleton were an American. It's going to be interesting to sort of see how this plays out over the years when people don't realize that the book came out before Harry and Meghan. Because I think as time goes on, people are going to think, oh, this is like about Harry and Meghan, except they made a few changes. And we're going to be like, actually, it's about Kate and William, but we made a lot of changes. Um, And it just came about actually through a conversation that Heather and I had with our our a book agent, our lit agent, one day, he must have had uh, an event, and we were just sort of talking about it. And we were talking about how she made everything look very easy, but that you know that job is not easy. There's a lot of pressure. It must be sort of difficult to live that kind of very public life. Um, and like how difficult it must have been to tra- to sort of transition yourself from being a wealthy woman, but like a regular wealthy woman into being uh, Kate, you know, Duchess of Cambridge. And they were like, that's interesting. Someone should write a book about that. And we like, oh my God, maybe we should write it. <laughs> I kind of can't believe we were the, really kind of the first people to do that. Like, I still look back at it and I think there's so often I will read a book and be like, oh my God, that was a great idea. I wish I thought of that. And like, oh my God, we did. We like thought of it. We did it. Never going to happen again. Um, but yeah, at the at its most basic, it's like if Kate Middleton were an American. So my favorite parts of the book, I don't want to reveal anything, so because I think everyone who's listening should read it. But I love all of the Freddie stuff, and so now it is kind of funny. Freddie's like loosely based on Harry, and so now Harry slash Freddie is married to the American, and I just loved all of that. Like, how did you find inspiration? Did you just kind of model him off of kind of Harry's antics and? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think we tried to mine. You know, there's a lot of really good stuff out there's a lot of the template is great i mean the <laughs> william and kate story and a lot of the different tent poles the the brief breakup getting back together that sort of never really confirming that they were dating all that stuff um is dramatically pretty pretty solid so yeah. we used a lot of that as inspiration and i think that um the relationship between william and harry is obviously really close but really jocular and in a way that is very endearing has obviously sort of made a lot of people all around the world really fond of them. So we thought, okay, well, again, that's not really broken. So maybe that's another thing that we can mine and try to find some some truths from that that we can use in our book. Um, so yeah, he is, I mean, he's definitely inspired by, the Freddy character is definitely inspired by Harry. Um, but we, you know, the trick when we were writing it was that shift in mindset. You know, when we're planning the book, we're outlining the book and, and thinking of them as the William and Kate and Harry analogs and then being like, no, but they're not their Bex and Nick and Freddie and finding that mindset change where we were then free to be like, okay, well, who cares if Prince Harry would do that? Because it's not Prince Harry, it's Freddie, you know, like let's move it in that direction. And then, you know, so what if we don't think Kate actually would have realistically done that? Cause it's not her, it is Bex. She's a different person. Um, and it, it helped us find the little things that make them themselves to the point where I think in the comments of a post on GFY at one point in the last year, I referred to Harry as Freddie. <laughs> That's I perfect. Public, I was like, ooh, <laughs> on the site because I could go back in the CMS and just fix that real quick, um, edit that comment. Um, yeah, so it, it, it was it was definitely like a mental thing where we had to, at the beginning, get over thinking of them as the same people because they aren't. And that helped us to then make sure that they weren't the same people. 
Yeah, we didn't want the book to feel too much like fan fiction. No offense to fan fiction. There is amazing <laughs> fan fiction out there in the world. And a lot of great writers got started writing fan fiction. Uh, but, you know, at a certain point, we wanted to make sure that, yeah, they're obviously based on these people. I would never say they weren't. It's obvious they are. But, like, you also kind of want to leave the real person behind, if you can, to go into your fictional world. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, as a writer, you want to give people the, you don't want to give people excuses to put down the book or close the book, even if it's to just stop and think about something. And so we wanted to be too care be careful about not having a whole slew of characters that had really obvious parodies in the real world, really obvious you know counterparts in the real world, because then the whole time people are reading, they're not getting sucked into your characters or your story. They're stopping and putting the book down and being like, is that Fergie? Um, that Eugenie, like, who are these people? And then as soon as they start drift away, once the book is closed and they drift away from it, like, you know, the more times they do that, they don't maybe pick it back up again. Um, so we had to be careful about that too. Well, while the, the book does uh, steer away from being too close to reality, what I think is so amazing about it is how well-researched it is because there are so many aspects of that book that you're like, oh, that is how it must happen, even if we don't exactly know. Just the, the idea of the rollout, like the PR rollout of a new girlfriend or which events or being invited to Sandringham for Christmas and all those things are very true to life. Um, so with that in mind, with all the research that you guys have up there, um, can you tell us a bit about Megan and her style now that she has emerged as uh, the Duchess of Sussex? Because, you know, even in the last it's been a month as of today um, and she's gone to she's had several events and some surprising events and her style seems to have changed overnight. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys a little bit about, you know, it got really conservative really fast, which made us a little nervous and sad. Um, do you see that loosening up? Can you tell us what you think about that more conservative look that she debuted immediately after her wedding? I think We've only been married a month, right? Yeah. Right. And I think that Megan has been put under a lot of pressure. Like, I think a lot of people who like Megan and are fans of hers kind of think she's, like, going to go in there and, like, shake everything up. And she's not. Like, not because she doesn't want to necessarily, but because, you know, she just married into this very complicated family. They've only been married a month. She is an American. Like, one person. But, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she's like one person. So, like, let's give her a little time to find her footing. I think she probably is very nervous about doing anything that will reflect poorly upon herself the way any of us would be. And I think that she does not want to – I don't think she feels comfortable taking, like, giant fashion risks right now. And I think expecting her to do that is unfair. Yeah, I mean, her family is doing enough right now. Yeah. So feel so much extra pressure to walk the straight and narrow line and try not to put a foot out of place because her family are putting all of their feet other than her mother her mother's amazing but like everybody else <laughs> unable to keep their acts together um, and i really feel for her because that blows back on her even though it shouldn't everybody has lousy relatives you can't control what they're doing and somehow it becomes this well why hasn't why don't they have a minder on her dad why isn't she and like all of this is somehow her fault and you know, it's not. She's she's just trying to do her job and represent both of these countries at once, which I think is really hard. But I have to say, I don't know if I think her, I don't know if I read her style as having turned suddenly super, super conservative. I think, you know, we didn't really know a lot about her before she started dating Harry, um, other than that, you know, she seemed fairly standard starlet, you know, cocktail dresses and heels at whatever events she did go to. Um, but, you know, once we started dating, it was, you know, she wore that, um, 
the white button down shirt. Um, she wore a lot of long trousers and blouses when they were doing events together. Um, I, I don't know if I think I see that much of a shift since the wedding, especially because she did just wear, you know, the off the shoulder dress, which some people were a Twitter about whether she was, she should be showing her shoulders. Um, I think for her, probably what's most important beyond, you know, making sure that she's unimpeachable behaviorally because her family is crazy, um, is you don't want to set yourself up to be identical to Kate Middleton, who is the other fashion star of the Royal family right now. And if she shows up and starts imitating Kate or appearing to imitate Kate, that sets them up for these comparisons that I think is are really unhealthy for everybody. Um, so for her, I, I think Megan probably wanted to come in immediately and be like, I'm going to do my own thing. And originally for a while that was pants, you know, she wears it, she would wear a different style of hat than Kate. You know, she had that sort of beret style fascinator for a while. She wore a very elaborate hat today that I don't think to Royal Ascot that is very different than anything Kate's worn. Um, so I think, I think that's also part of it is carving out her own identity and not having anyone accuse her of just sort of copycatting and letting her and, and losing her own identity. Like, I think she's keeping herself very independent and, and sort of, I just used the word identity a bunch in a row, but you know, like, <laughs> she's an independent woman. And I think she's trying to assert that through her clothes. Yeah. And I also yeah. think that if you sort of like assume she's going to show up the Royal fa- at a Royal family event and like an Alexander Wang jumpsuit, T-shirt. Like, <laughs> yeah. happen. Like, I think she's, trying to really walk a fine line right now. And it's only been a month. Like, let's see how she goes. I mean, you can sort of see Kate's style change over the course of the, like, six years or whatever, seven years they've been married. Um, Let's give her a little time. I think that the pressure on her and the attention on her is immense right now. Um, And we don't have any, I mean, you can't even say we have the whole story or half the story. We have, like, none of the story yet as far as her fashion goes. I would have been more surprised, honestly, if she'd shown up somewhere like at this wedding over the week of uh, the wedding that she attended of a friend of Harry's or of Diana's relative. Um, if she had shown up at that in like a pleated Alexander McQueen coat dress, I would have been like, oh, this feels like, you know, the hand reaching in and being like, you have to wear this. That would have felt like copycatting. But the what she wore, I actually felt was almost was really unexpected to me. Like it, it, I hated it. It was like a really billowy <laughs> thing ring around the neck. But I was like, I got to applaud her. Like, I don't think that we've seen anything quite like that on a major royal family member before. And so good for her. Again, she is, she's trying. And it was pretty, it was, it covered everything up. It wasn't like it was risque in any way, but it was a little bit different. And I think as much as I didn't personally like it, I have to give her props for, for finding a way to put her own mark on something. And except, but yeah, not in a way where she showed up and was like, look at all of my legs. Here they are. It's, it's see-through. You know, I, I credit to her for that. It's got to be hard to work within what I imagine are some constraints. Yeah, no, I, I when I first saw that outfit, I couldn't quite place what I didn't like about it. I loved the print. I loved the concept of the floatiness, but I couldn't figure it out until I read Go Fug Yourself. And one, I, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't remember which one of you wrote the post, but that said it just didn't fit. It didn't fit. <laughs> it's too big. I think the issue is like she's like a petite person and that dress I believe is a sample because it's not out yet. So it was made for like oh. a model. Like Carly Cross is gonna it's gonna blow on her perfectly, but on like a small little tiny little five foot four person, it's gonna be a lot of hoo ha. Oh, it was a lot of hoo ha. Yeah. Oh, I think what so nobody said that was why the stuff is getting tailored better. Like I don't know. Like that those are problems you can fix. Um, well, you know what the just- funny thing is about it 
or the odd thing is about it. I interviewed her at Fashion Week once when she was on Amazing. <laughs> I think this is when I was, when we were at the cut. I can't quite remember, but I'm, yeah, no, it was 2013. Who knows? That's not important. But I think it was. Anyway, I taught, I interviewed her once and I clearly remember the, in the interview, she goes, the key to looking well put together is tailoring. I have everything tailored. And now I'm looking at her and I'm like, go get that tailored, Megan. You know, <laughs> I have it straight from now, horse really has access to better tailors now than she did when she was on suits. So, that's true. Isn't that Royal funny? Yeah. That's so funny. <clears throat> well, thank you so much for coming on. We were so excited to have you guys yes. here. Again, we're such big fans of the Royal We, and yes. we want everyone to read it this summer. Thank you so much. Yes, it's our official beach read. I, not that anyone, we don't get a sticker like Oprah, but it has the royally obsessed stamp of approval. Everyone needs to read this book. <laughs> so good. So yeah, we thank you guys so much for stopping by. Well, stopping by from California. Uh, <laughs> and everyone go check out GoFugYourself.com to read more. Um, every outfit, like even though they're on the West Coast, every time those Brits appear, it's like 4 a.m. your time. But the post is up in within the hour <laughs> uh, for every outfit. So thank you for that. And you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at FugGirls, F-U-G-G-I-R-L-S. And of course... By their book, The Royal We. Thanks, well, guys. We do our best. Thank you guys so much for having us. Of course. So before we adjourn the royal pod, we have some royal highs and lows. It's time for the royal highs and lows. What is your high? My high is going to be talking to the Fug Girls because yeah. I love them and I'm so excited that we had them on the show. Yes, so grateful to the ladies. Um, my high is uh, that Zara Tyndall had her baby. Yes. We have yet another royal baby. So as you guys know, I'm big fans of the um, Princess Anne's great-grandchildren. Grandchildren? Grandchildren. Um, and so now we have another one. So that means that little Mia Tyndall has a new little sister. So we don't have a name yet, but we will soon. And my low is definitely Thomas Markle. A thousand percent. Me too. He needs to just shut up. Oh, I'm so mad about it. Okay, I don't even want to end on that note. I want to <laughs> end on happier things like the two of them giggling like girlfriends on that. At the Megan event. and the Queen. Yes. Best yes. Friends. Love them. So in the meantime, until next week, you can follow us uh, on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group Royally Obsessed for some personal plugs. Uh, you can follow me, Caitlin, at HeyKMens on Twitter and Instagram and see more of my writing at CaitlinMenza.com. And you can follow me, Lisa, at Lisa Raya on Twitter and I'm writing at the gut. Yes. And uh, remember to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you don't mind. Please. And until next week, God Save the Pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God Save the Pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.